There are many parables in the Bible that describe God's love for us, but perhaps none better than the prodigal son, where a reckless son wastes his inheritance chasing cheap thrills and is welcomed with open arms when he returns home to his father. This story reminds us that God loves us so much that he wants us to get out there and party down and live the most sinful lives we can. And whenever we run out of money or get in trouble, we can come running back to him and he will forgive us and give us more money. The prodigal son parable teaches us how much God cares that we have a rocking good time while we're here on earth, probably because there's no sinful fun to be had in heaven. So live it up and sin as much as you can because God wants you to enjoy yourself before you come running back to him. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. Just to make sure that's satire, I just want to make sure you know that. I saw some of you taking furious notes. That's good. That's good, right? That's good. And so that's a hilarious and completely unbiblical take on the prodigal son. But what is not funny is if you're the parent of a prodigal who is constantly asking, uh, what went wrong? Did I not do my job? Uh, is it guaranteed they're going to return? Did God not keep his promise when he said if I train them up in the way they should go? And so uh, that is a challenging thing to walk through. And so this morning what we're going to do is something that uh, I almost never do. I'm going to preach a standalone message. And this is a message I've been wanting to preach for about two years, but I couldn't find a break in between series uh, where I thought it fit. And so since we just wrapped up the first section of the Gospel of John, and next week we'll kick off uh, Super Summer with uh, Dr. Robert Smith Jr., I thought this is a great Sunday in between uh, to preach a message that honestly has been on my heart now for about uh, two years. And so let me invite you to take your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, whatever you're using this morning, and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22 for a message titled, Proverbs, Promises, and Prodigals. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 22 this morning, and I love the book of Proverbs, and, and here's why. Uh, it's just great short statements. Uh, sometimes the Old Testament, when you read it, you have to realize that some of what is being taught is specific only for the nation of Israel and within the specific covenant they were walking through with God. But Proverbs, that's not true. Proverbs are general statements of wisdom uh, that are true for every generation, for people who want to honor God. And so Proverbs give us wisdom on how to relate to each other uh, horizontally, and Psalms give us wisdom on how to relate to God vertically. And if you're like me, I need wisdom and help in both those areas. So Proverbs is my favorite book in the Old Testament. And tucked into uh, the book of Proverbs in the second half there uh, is, a, is a chapter, chapter 22, and specifically verse 6 that has caused a tremendous uh, amount of confusion for people. Uh, it's caused a tremendous amount of uh, false guilt for the parents of prodigals. I believe it's caused some judgmental pride uh, in some people's hearts if their children are, in fact, uh, still walking with the Lord. And so uh, I'm not a fan of uh, false guilt, and I'm not a fan of judgmental pride. And so this morning we're going to uh, look at Proverbs chapter 22, and I think it will provide some help and hope for those who are struggling with either one of those and parents of prodigals this morning. So Proverbs chapter 22, we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through through 11. Verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 1 uh, starts off and says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Uh, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Uh, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Uh, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. Here's verse 6, kind of our focus verse this morning. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Uh, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Uh, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow and the rod of his anger will fall. He who blesses a genocide will be blessed for he gives uh, of his bread to the poor. Cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. There, there's just some incredible uh, principles in Proverbs chapter 22. I wish we could look at all of them. That may have a future series. But this morning we're going to kind of focus specifically on verse 22. And that, that promise in there that's probably the most often quoted um, proverb uh, scripture on biblical parenting. But I believe uh, most often misunderstood and misapplied uh, as well in that same parenting uh, principles. Uh, I would stand in unison uh, with those this morning who have said before me, uh, I used to have four theories on parenting and no children. And now I've got four children and no theories, like, right? So you remember what, before you had kids and you'd see someone else's kids, they'd be in the store and, and they'd be buck wild. And you'd be like, you know what, when I have kids, they will never act like that. And then you had kids and then you're hiding from people in the grocery, Amen. You're like, oh, did they see that? And so like all the, all the theory, you know, Mike Tyson, the great prophet and philosopher, Mike Tyson, uh, says this, everybody in the ring had a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's how it is with parenting. You're like, I'm going to do this. My kids are never going to do that. I've got all these kind of rules. And then you have a kid and you get punched in the mouth and all that sometimes goes out the window. And so for lots of people, we've walked through that, we understand that, but I've also met many people to say, I have a theory, I have a plan, it's guaranteed, it's foolproof, and when I ask them what that is, because I'm trying to take notes and write a book, right? They say, Proverbs 22.6, that as long as you train up a child in the way he should go, then when he's old, he will not depart from us. That's a guarantee, and I'm just going to do that, and I know that God's going to do his part, and uh, sometimes that is not exactly uh, how that all plays out. And so the reality is, uh, if we think if you just follow the formula of Proverbs 22.6, there's a guaranteed ironclad outcome in every single scenario. If you just do your part, uh, God will do his part. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, the implication of that thought is that if a child doesn't grow up to love the Lord, then we can look at that parent and go, oh, clearly uh, you didn't do your part. Because the Bible says if you do your part, this is God's part, and this is the guaranteed ironclad outcome. You just follow the plan, so clearly somehow uh, you didn't follow the plan. And so Proverbs 22.6 has produced a false sense of security and guarantee for the parents of young children. It's produced a false amount of guilt for the parents of adults uh, who are no longer walking with the Lord in the category of what we would call, or Scripture calls, a prodigal. And I think this, I think it's produced self-righteous pride uh, in the hearts of other parents whose children are walking with the Lord. Where they would look at other families and go, well, look at their kids and, and how they turned out. And clearly they didn't, they didn't do their job. And they, they should have been more like us and our parents. And, and look at our kids. And so clearly we got it figured out. And they didn't follow the plan in Proverbs 22.6. And uh, here's the reality. So much false guilt and false guarantees and false pride uh, as well as to parenting are tied up in a misunderstanding of Proverbs 22.6. What it says, what it means, what it looks like when it plays out. So uh, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to look at it very closely and see actually what is the Bible teaching here in Proverbs 22.6 and as opposed to what we think it teaches or what we hope it taught or what we thought it taught and it didn't work out in our context. And so why is that this morning? So does that sound like a good idea? Say amen. Good, because it's the only sermon I've got this morning. All right? 
So, so here's the first thing I want you to understand, and this is foundation. If you don't understand this, listen, not only will you never understand this verse, you'll never get it right. It'll never play out in your life because you did it wrong interpretation. You won't understand anything in the book of Proverbs. And it's an incredible book, lots of wisdom. And if you don't understand this first principle, you, you won't glean any of its wisdom because you don't even know what it means. And so here's the first principle I want you to understand, uh, not just about this verse, but the book of Proverbs as a whole, to understand the context which verse 6 is setting in, in the Word of God. So the first principle simply this morning is this, is that Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not promises. And if you don't understand that and embrace that and, and why that is, then, then you, you'll have no, no hope of getting verse 6 right. And when you don't understand the interpretation, then the application is never going to write. And again, you won't understand anything in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs are not uh, promises. And so uh, the reality is uh, Proverbs are not uh, guaranteed ironclad formulas that, that revert, uh, work in every single uh, situation regardless of the reality uh, that God gives people the ability to make real choices that have real consequences, both uh, good and bad. And so Proverbs are not uh, promises. Proverbs are general statements of wisdom, general statements of wisdom that are generally true most of the time. That's not the same as a promise. A promise is, hey, listen, regardless of the scenario, regardless of, you know, people making real choices, real con regardless of all of that, then it's a guaranteed ironclad uh, outcome in every single scenario. You do this, God will do this, case is closed, parenting is easy, I'm writing a book. Amen? No, no, no. Proverbs are general statements of wisdom that are generally true most of the time, but they're not ironclad guarantees in every single uh, scenario. The word proverb uh, in our English Bibles is the Hebrew word mashal. And it means this. It means comparison or similar uh, or parallel. In other words, what proverbs are is their general statements of wisdom. And so God's offering wisdom in some areas that we lack wisdom. And sometimes because we lack wisdom, we don't understand what God's even trying to say. And so he said, hey, you know what? I'm going to help you out. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use Proverbs, and, and I'm going to make a comparison between something you do understand that's clear uh, with something you don't understand with the hopes that when you compare those two things together, you'll get a clear understanding of what you did not understand apart from this comparison. That's what a proverb is. Uh, let me give you some examples here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 25 and 27 says this, uh, Because you've disdained uh, my counsel and would have none of my correction, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror comes. So we don't, we don't know, like, what does that look like? God's going to laugh at our calamity and God's going to mock us. Like, what exactly does that look like? Uh, what does it mean we've done those things? He says this, When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. So here's what's known. We know what a storm does. We know what a whirlwind does, and we understand that. What we don't understand is the destruction that will be caused in our lives. Like how many times have you sat across from someone and said, hey, if you do this, this is how it's going to turn out. And they're like, no, not going to. And so he says, you don't understand how it's going to turn out. You lack wisdom. So let me uh, compare it to something you do understand, the devastation of a storm or a whirlwind. So he's comparing something they understand with something they don't understand with the hopes that they grow in wisdom. That's what Proverbs are. Let me give you another example. Uh, Proverbs 2, 3, and 5. 
If you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So uh, what is unknown to us sometimes is how intently we should be pursuing wisdom. Like we don't understand. Uh, The Bible says in Proverbs, and all you're getting, get understanding, get wisdom. We don't understand how valuable that is, so he compares it with something we do understand that's valuable, searching for treasure. He says, hey, you know how a person searches for treasure? Yep, I understand that. I get that. I get why it's valuable. Okay, here's what you don't understand. You should search for wisdom with the same passion because it's more valuable. So Proverbs is comparing those two things. Here's something you understand compared to get something you don't understand. Uh, and so that's what exactly uh, Proverbs is all about. Now, what you're saying is uh, it's not a promise. And, and are you just trying to falsely comfort parents who, who didn't, who didn't uh, train their kids the way they should go? Or are you trying to find a loophole so people don't feel as guilty? No. Let me show you some places where Proverbs are a general statement that's generally true most of the time, but clearly they're not a promise or an ironclad guarantee in every single scenario. Let me just walk through Proverbs 3. I just go to the next chapter, uh, Proverbs 3. There's multiple examples. Let me just list a few. Uh, Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. Let your heart uh, keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace uh, they will add to you. So, So what he's saying is, hey, as a general of thumb, if you don't violate the wisdom principles of God, uh, your days won't be cut short. So that's generally true. Do we agree with that? Like if you don't reckless living, totally sinning against God, totally disregarding God's counsel, uh, as a general thumb, your days won't be cut short unnecessarily. But is that always true? Listen, if, if, if there are children who die of pediatric cancer and accidents, of course. So what do we conclude if that's a guarantee? Well, clearly they weren't loving the Lord. No. What he's saying is a general of thumb, your life won't be cut short by reckless living. But clearly that's not the case when people die young in every single city. Listen, you can love God with your whole heart and die in an accident at a young age. So it's a general statement, generally true most of the time, but not an ironclad guarantee in every uh, single scenario. Let me read to you another one. Proverbs 3, uh, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, uh, so your barns will be filled with plenty. Did you guys know there was an economic recession in 2008? Did you know that? Some of you, I see tears in your eyes. You do know that, right? No, so what do we conclude? That some people's barns got totally, their retirement barn got totally wiped empty. So we say, hey, guess what? You know what? According to Proverbs, you clearly didn't honor God with your possessions. No, as a general thumb, those who uh, honor God's wisdom principles on finances are going to be in a better place financially. But in some scenarios, listen, you have no control over that kind of calamity. And so that's not an ironclad promise. As a general thumb, it's mostly true, but not in every single uh, scenario. Uh, Let's go to everyone's favorite Proverbs to market, uh, Proverbs 31, which I've renamed that lady the woman every other woman hates. Amen? And so just listen to this. He's going to say, hey, generally as a rule of thumb, this is true, but, but it's not a guarantee or a promise. Uh, let me just walk through Proverbs 31, a couple verses. Uh, verses 10 and 11. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far more above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So what he's saying is, hey, a godly virtuous woman, as a general rule of thumb that's generally true most of the time, her husband's going to trust her now. Is that an ironclad guarantee that for every uh, godly woman, they never can uh, come and be married in a relationship with a controlling, uh, distrusting husband? Of course not. Of course not. Listen, uh, sit in my office a few times. I promise you, that's not true in every single scenario. Now, it's a general thumb. That is true, but not in every scenario. 
Uh, listen to verse uh, 28 uh, about the godly virtuous woman. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. So do we say every single time a godly virtuous woman is guaranteed her husband or children will never speak critically of her? Now, if that's true, some of you are thinking, I am not a godly virtuous woman then, right? So it's, it's a general rule of thumb that if she lives in a godly way, she, she's going to be praised by those people, but not, it's not a guarantee that that won't happen. I've met godly people who have kids and spouses who are incredibly critical of them. Let me give you another one, verse 30. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, is that a general statement that's generally true most of the time? Yes. Does that mean it's an ironclad guarantee that she'll never be the source of gossip from other jealous women? Of course not. And so what he's saying is these are general statements that are generally true most of the time, but they are not ironclad guarantees in every single scenario. Go back to our text, chapter 22. I'll show you another example right in our passage. Uh, verse 4, by humility and fear of the Lord uh, are riches and honor uh, in life. And so a person who doesn't grow in riches and a person who's not honored, do, do, can we conclude in every scenario, well, clearly they weren't fearing the Lord. Of course not. Listen, some of the godliest people you'll meet around the world are also some of the poorest people. And so these are general statements that are generally true most of the time, but Proverbs are not promises. They are not ironclad guarantees in every single scenario. So you've got to understand that. And because uh, that is true, then the next statement is true as well. Godly parents can produce foolish children. And all God's people said, I, I, I couldn't even begin to add up in 17 years of ministry. The, the number of uh, times I've sat across from brokenhearted, godly, faithful, diligent, teaching it and living it parents, model parents. You and I would look at and call them mentors. Uh, and then all of a sudden they have kids who grow to be adults, who walk away, who pursue a path of foolishness. None, none of the parents fall. I can't, I can't even count the number of examples. Now on the other side of that, I can give you examples as well. I've watched parents who rarely darken the door of a church. They, they don't know the difference between the left side and the right side of the Bible. There's no conversation. But then they got uh, children who grow up and end up as missionaries and pastors. Listen, I, I'm one of those people. I did not grow up going to church. And so clearly it was my parents uh, trained me up in the way she goes to the guarantee. Not, no, there was, there was very little of that, if any at all. But the God in his grace has worked uh, in spite of that. So even though Proverbs 22 is a general statement that is generally true most of the time, it's not a guarantee. And so therefore, godly uh, parents can produce foolish children. Uh, let me rattle off some examples, uh, to the exceptions to the principle here in uh, Proverbs 22.6. Listen to some of these from Proverbs. Proverbs 10.1, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now, why would an ungodly mother be grieved by a foolish son? She wouldn't be grieved, she'd be proud. He's a chip off the old block, right? He doesn't love God. He doesn't honor God. I don't love God. I don't honor God. Doesn't grieve me at all. No, listen, what's implied here in this passage is the reason that a, a mother is grieved by a godly son or a foolish son because he's not pursuing the path of wisdom. And so this is a picture of a godly parent who's grieved by a foolish child in Proverbs uh, 10, 1. Uh, Proverbs 13, 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer. That's a person's like, I don't care. 
but a scoffer uh, does not listen to rebuke. Now, let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you did not heed your parents' godly instruction? Has there ever been a time in your life you've done Now, and if the answer is no, there's not, let me tell you a secret this morning. No one likes you, all right? Of course there is. And so a godly, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, uh, but a scoffer, he, he doesn't listen to rebuke. So the, the parent here is saying, hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm giving you wisdom. I'm trying to train you in the path of wisdom, and, and you're not receiving it. I'm doing my job, uh, but you, you just scoff or laugh at rebuke and that correction. You, you're not even interested. So a godly parent giving godly counsel, and the child says, I, I, don't, I don't receive that. So clearly, another example here. Uh, Proverbs 15, 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man uh, despises his uh, mother. Why, why does he despise his mother with the way he's living? Basically, what this is saying here is this. It, it, they're living their life godless, totally uh, disregarding the counsel of their parents. And so basically, with their lifestyle, a foolish child is, is basically saying to the mother in this passage, uh, I despise everything you've taught me. Everything you try to model and teach and encourage and pray for, uh, all that godly counsel, uh, I despise all of that as evidenced by how I'm living. So godly parent, foolish child. Yet another uh, example, uh, Proverbs 30. I could just go on and on and on. Uh, Proverbs 30, 11 and 12. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. That's verse 11. So, so, how, so how do they do that? Here's what verse 12 says. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed uh, from its uh, filthiness. And so uh, that phrase there, pure in its own eyes, is the same thing as saying they're walking in their own foolish wisdom and, and they're defiled by it. They're, they're not cleansed by their, by their lack of wisdom. And so if doing that is a curse to the father and the mother, like uh, verse 11 says, uh, we can safely conclude uh, this parent or this child who's walking in their own wisdom, pursuing the path of foolishness or folly, uh, just is a curse to their mother and father. So what what is that example of godly, faithful parent and foolish child? So listen, I'm just over and over and over. I can say, hey, this is a general statement that's generally true most of the time, but it is not a a guarantee, an ironclad promise. And so as a result of that, godly parents can produce foolish children. Look at verse 5 here uh, uh, in our text. Uh, verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. Uh, he who guards his soul will be far from them. Now, if verse 6 is an ironclad guaranteed promise, then, then why, why does a person have to guard their way so they don't get involved in thorns, which is sin and all of its consequences? Because it's not a promise, that's why. And so over and over uh, we see that. Look at verse 8 in our passage. Uh, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. Well, well, well what about how, how can a person sow iniquity if their parents were godly people? And that's a promise. And, and if I'm sowing iniquity, then I'm not continuing. I'm departing from it, to quote verse 6. Why? Because guess what? It's not a guarantee. You, you can raise a, a, the best you can in a godly way, and guess what? Your, your children can still sow iniquity. Verse 8 is after verse 6. So if it's a promise with an ironclad guarantee, there's no point to put verse 8 in there because if it's a promise with a guarantee, they'll never sow iniquity, right? So it just, it just doesn't flush uh, out. Look at verse 11. All over. He who loves purity of heart, has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. What's that mean? 
means he won't feel the consequences of the king's wrath or government's wrath for breaking the law. And so when it says there, he who loves wisdom, to love is a self-sacrifice. So that, in other words, for the person who says, hey, uh, I'm willing to self-sacrifice what I want to do in my sinful flesh for the sake of godly wisdom, uh, self-sacrifice has to be done by self. Does that make sense? And so even if, if verse 6 was an ironclad promise in every single situation, verse 11 wouldn't need to be in there. So it's so over and over and over in this passage and all over Proverbs, I can show you example of example of godly parents who are grieved by foolish children. It is possible. Now, if you're here and you've got little kids, you're just like this, lit, right? And it's all over the Word of God. And we wish that weren't true, do we not? Listen, let me, let me just say this. If Proverbs 22.6 was a promise, an ironclad guarantee, there would not be a prodigal child walking the earth. I love what uh, pastor and author Matt Chandler says. Uh, he says this. He said, I cannot set the hearts of my children aflame for God and his righteousness. I can't do it. The best I can do is to parent their hearts in such a way that I'm stacking up kindling around it, but the Holy Spirit alone can set it to flame. That, that, that's parenting, is it not? Like you're trying to go around getting every shred of wisdom and, and counsel and encouragement and prayer, and you're just gathering up like sticks, and you're like, oh man, I need that, and I need that, and thank you for that counsel, and I read that in the Word of God, and I heard that talk, and I'm just grabbing all of this, and I'm just, I'm just bringing it up, and I'm stacking around the hearts of my kid. And then I'm stepping back and going, Lord, you have to set that aflame. Right? Now listen, there have been times I'd love to burn it down. Amen? Who's not prayed that? Lord, bring the fire. Do it again, Lord. That's not parenting biblically. That's not parenting according to the wisdom of Proverbs. Listen, parenting according to the wisdom of Proverbs, Lord, I'm just, I'm just stacking up all this, all this wisdom, all this sacrifice, all, all this modeling, teaching, encouraging, praying, all these things. And Lord, it, you, have to, you have to set it aflame. The Holy Spirit has to put a fire to that. I can't do it. And because that's true, Godly parents can produce uh, foolish uh, children. Now, some of you are sitting there, and if your kids are walking with the Lord, listen, there's a little judgmental, like, oh, no, 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 listen, I, I get what you're saying, that's probably comforting, but listen, if you do your job, then it, it'll get, get I, just think about this, think about this. If the right teaching and the right modeling guarantee the right outcome, think about this, then how is it? according to John chapter 6, that the majority of people who followed Jesus and watched him perfectly model and perfectly teach in every single scenario, the majority of them, John chapter 6, six says, walked away from him and walked with him no more. If the right teaching and the right modeling was the guaranteed outcome, then how in the world did people, many people, walk away from Jesus himself? And so here's a fair question. If that's true... If godly parents can, in fact, produce uh, foolish children, and, and what you're saying is true, that verse 6 is a, uh, is a principle, not a promise, then sh should we just let go and let God? I've watched parents do that. I've watched parents just kind of take the, you know, <laughs> Jesus, you take the wheel because I'm tired of driving, amen? 
and just kind of sit back and say, hey, they're going to they're gonna make their own mistakes. They're going to do that kind of thing. Should we, just, should we kind of uh, spiritually adopt a free-range approach to parenting? Have you heard of free-range parenting? It's a real thing. Uh, free-range parenting is a concept that's now becoming popular in some uh, parts of the world where I don't know, weird people live, I guess. And so uh, here's, here's what it is. I quote, uh, free-range parenting is the concept of raising children in the spirit of encouraging them to function independently and with limited parental supervision in accordance of their age of development with a reasonable acceptance of realistic uh, personal risks. Uh, this is seen as the opposite of helicopter parenting, the idea that is popularized uh, by the pediatrician uh, Benjamin Spock, who, side note, had, had no kids. And so free-range parenting is like just going to open the door and, and they'll just, they'll kind of go out. And so uh, there's a couple that came out and there was this interview and, and they got arrested because their little kids are out walking around just by themselves. And you know what their defense was? We, we've adopted free-range parenting and in Utah they've now passed a law. It says you can do that and you can't arrest those people or charge them with neglect. So, so write this down. If you don't like your kids, move to Utah, all right? Just write that down. Just open the door and go, you know what? You'll figure it out. And so, so spiritually, do, is this, like if it's not a guarantee, do we just, well, God's going to do what he wants to do. And, you know, just, I mean, only the Lord can change a heart. And only the gospel, you know, makes people, you know, desire, like, oh, do we just, no, 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 no. Listen, according to Proverbs, here's, here's the last truth. I want you to say, according to Proverbs, training is needed and profitable. Training is needed and profitable. And so we've spent some time uh, determining what this verse does not mean. So let's break it down and, and find out what it does mean because right interpretation is the foundation for right application. So, so what exactly uh, is being taught here? And let me just tell you this. Uh, this week I studied and studied. Uh, I was up till almost one last night studying and studying. Got here early studying and studying. And let me, let me just tell you, this one 21-word verse, there, there's a tremendous amount of debate on what it actually means and what it looks like and all those uh, kind of things. And so, uh, so uh, and, and there's disagreement between uh, like-minded people, uh, people who uh, hold to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, uh, you know, evangelical, uh, the, they, they totally disagree on this, on some uh, facets. And so, uh, but after studying this week, here's my current understanding of what's being taught. Not that it won't grow and change at some point, uh, but here's where I landed after uh, putting a lot of time in studying. So, so we're going to dig out. I mean, now, now, here's the thing. Listen, listen. When you study the Bible, you have to dig out the meaning from the text that was intended by the original author. You're like, oh, that's fine. I agree with that. And, and, and here's what that means. That means when you break down or exegete the text and you let the text speak for itself, it may not mean what you want it to mean or what you were always taught that it means. But guess what? Let the Bible speak for itself. And then submit your view around the authority of God's word. Right? What's John 17 say? Sanctify them, O Lord, by truth. Your word is truth. All right, so, so can we disagree? We're not going to be scared of the Bible. We're just going to let the Bible speak for itself this morning. Uh, so let's just approach it, uh, what it says here. And so basically when we uh, look at Proverbs 22.6, there are th three uh, key questions that we've got to wrestle with. Uh, what is it meant to train? What, what does that mean? Uh, what is meant in the way they should go? What does that mean? And then what, what's meant by they won't depart from it? Right, like if I can understand those three phrases in verse 6, then I can understand verse 6, and then I can apply it and live in the truth uh, of what it's teaching. So let's just walk through those. Let's just read through verse uh, 6 again. Uh, train up a child in the way he should go. There's the first phrase. There's a the second phrase. And when he's old, uh, he won't depart from it. Now, what's not in the Hebrew on that last one is uh, because I will kill them. That's not in there anywhere, all right? 
So train them in the way, and they won't depart. Three, what does that exactly mean? So the word train uh, is the first command. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word train is used three other times in the Bible. And every single time it's used, it's talking about the consecration or dedication of a house from man or God or a household. And so the word to train here uh, is the idea of dedicating or consecrating for godly purposes. Uh, that implies that for a parent, uh, discipleship is a deliberate and intentional course of action. If you've ever trained for an event that required endurance or stamina or intellect or a test or something like that, you didn't just show up that day and you know what, I'm just going to wing it. Right? No, no, you said this, this is what's required for the test or the endurance or whatever the case, this is what's required. And so in order to achieve that, I've got weeks or months, maybe even years of training. Like, like, can you imagine just walking in the medical board and going, you Where'd you go to school at? I didn't, but I feel, I've pray, I'm, listen, I've been praying all morning. I feel good about it, right? I feel like the Lord's with me. No. And so that's the idea here. He say, listen, when you're training, you're dedicating, you're consecrating, it's implying an intentional course of action. Deliberate, intentional, planning, leveraging resources toward that end. This is more than uh, just bringing them to church and hoping that by osmosis they, they get it. Now, it's not less than that, but it's more than that uh, here in this passage. Let, let me tell you what also uh, is the opposite. It's the exact opposite of this, and, I, and I've heard this so many times. Well, I, I don't want to make them go. Like if your kid had cancer, would you just get down and go, hey, you go to the doctor? No, it's going to hurt. It's going to be, you know what? I don't blame you. You're fine. No, we would call that negligent, right? You go to jail. Can I just tell you this? That your child has spiritual cancer called sin dwelling in them. As cute as your kid is, they're a little sinner. Write that down, all right? Like the, when it's time for school, you go in the room and go, hey, you know, school, you need instruction, you learn, you need to get a skill. You need to, I don't want to go. You know what? I don't, I don't like school either. Just stay in bed. But when it comes to the most important course of action, their spiritual development, well, why is it that we go, you know what, I don't want to force them into a course of action just like I do for physical health and just like I do for education. I don't, the most important one, their spiritual development, I, I, I want to be a little more hands-off about that. What? Well, I don't want to force them to go to this you know, group or event or activity. I just I kind of want them to choose for them. So what? It's the exact opposite of what's being taught here. The exact opposite of what's being uh, taught here. I just want to let them choose for themselves. Newsflash, your kids, because they're sinful, but if you let them choose for themselves, they'll choose folly. That, that's the natural bent of every person in the room, me included. It's the opposite here to train, to dedicate, to consecrate. It's the opposite of passivity with the hopes that, again, spiritual osmosis will occur because we uh, sat in church uh, when it wasn't anything else competing for our uh, energy or it wasn't, you know, the, wasn't too hot or raining or, or whatever the case is. Uh, it's this type of intentionality. Listen, it's so intentional that the children are openly aware of what you're trying to do in their life. Like they're totally clear, it's, a, it's not a secret that you're trying to train them uh, to be disciples uh, for the glory of God. It's an open, like this, this is what we're doing as a parent. I, I'm not as nearly as concerned if you get seized or you strike out. But, but I, listen, this is important. That, that's what's being taught here. 
And let, let, let's not, listen, if you're listening, say amen. Let's not be content to raise moral kids. Because you don't need the gospel to be moral. Pharisees were moral. Let's, let's not be content for kids who, they, they don't get in trouble and they've not embarrassed us and they're productive. Listen, no, no, no. I want kids that are on fire for Jesus Christ whose hearts have been radically transformed by the gospel. That's what we're going for. Not, not just moral kids who don't embarrass us. No, gospel-transformed hearts living for the glory of God. That, that's, what we're, that's the bullseye. That doesn't happen by accident. And so to train is to dedicate, to consecrate, it's leveraging resources, intentional course of that. That's exactly what that means exegetically in this passage. So the second phrase, uh, what's it meant when it says in the way they should go? Now literally in the Hebrew, it, it reads this in the Hebrew, according uh, to the dictates of his way. Now there's, there's a lot of debate about what does that mean? Some people say, and, and have concluded, listen, people I love to listen to uh, have concluded, they said what that means is this, you've got to study your child. And you've got to find out their own natural bent and, and parent with that wisdom in mind, the dictates of their own way. So in other words, listen, uh, if your kids uh, loves music, don't try and make them be an athlete because you were. If despite their best effort they get C's, don't come down hard on them because you want A's. Listen, if you're a raging extrovert and your child is an introvert, don't try to turn them into something that, that, that they're not because it embarrasses you when they're shy in public. Now... Do I think that's good, wise counsel? Absolutely. Have we all not watched the disaster, uh, particularly of a dad who was an athlete and just like, my kid's going to do what I did not do? You're just watching, like, that's usually the biggest idiot in the stands, amen? And they're yelling at their kid, and the, co the coach is ridiculous. Who just lean over to someone and say, hey, bro, it's really not about the coach. This is about you. And so I think that's good general wisdom. I think that grammatically in the text, exegetically, I think the Hebrew, the way it reads, I think allows for that interpretation grammatically. So, so is that what it means? I, I don't think so. Here's why. Because uh, the other school of thought, that not, not, not their natural bent, the other school of thought is that the way, when it trained the child in the way they should go, the way, uh, it, which literally means in the Hebrew, a trodden path, a well-worn path, is referring to the two great themes in the book of Proverbs. What's Proverbs all about? The entire book of Proverbs is painting a picture of two paths, the path of wisdom and the path of folly or foolishness. And so others have said, hey, listen, this is not about their natural bent and you know, don't make an introvert, an extrovert, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. This is about uh, there's two paths here. You have to train them in the path of wisdom because the dictates of their own way, what it literally means in Hebrew, the dictates of their own way left to your training, they'll choose the path of folly. That's what this means here. I think that's what's clearly being taught in the context of Proverbs. And when we compare Scripture uh, with Scripture, it's a description of two paths, one of foolishness, uh, one of wisdom. Go back to verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way. There's that same word way that's used in verse 6. Train them in the way. Uh, thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. There's the path of foolishness. Uh, and then verse uh, the second part, he who guards his soul will be far from him. There's the path of wisdom. Two paths. Uh, listen to the other Proverbs 11.5. The righteous uh, of the blameless keeps his way. There's that same word straight, path of wisdom. But the wicked falls by his own wickedness, path of foolishness. Proverbs 14.2. Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. That's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
But he who is devious in his ways, there's that word again, despises him. There's the path of foolishness. Uh, Proverbs 16, 7, the highway of the upright turns aside from evil. There's the way of wisdom. Uh, whoever guards his way, there's that word again, preserves his life. So if you don't, you're going to be in the path of foolishness. So, so over and over and over again, what he's saying is, hey, listen, the way they should go is the path of wisdom. And if you don't dedicate and consecrate your efforts towards that path, it will not happen. They'll choose the path of foolishness. You say, you sure about that? Here's what the Bible says. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. A child left to himself or his own dictates will come to ruin. That's what it says. What about he will return? It's not a promise. What does that mean? I've heard people say this. That means that what you taught them will always be in their heart. Like that, that will never, no, no. What's it mean? It means as a general rule of thumb. This is a general statement that's generally true most of the time. And so as a general rule of thumb, if you train up a child intently, model it, teach it in the way they should go, the path of wisdom, then as a general rule of thumb, they'll continue in it, but it's not a promise. It's not a guarantee. Your job is to sow the seed. You don't have control over the condition of the soil. That's what he's saying. Now, now what? I'm going to run a couple minutes over, so if that's okay, say amen. Good, because I am anyway. So if you're here and you're the parent of a prodigal, you've got two options. Number one, if you try to the best of your ability, not, listen, nobody's perfect, but if you, you try to leverage your resources, you, you try to dedicate yourself to honor you know, the teaching and modeling with consistency, that's huge. But your children end up being an exception to the rule. Then you need to once and for all live in the truth and send that false guilt back to hell from which it came from. And do not doubt in the dark what God this morning has revealed in the light. So that's number one. Number two, if you're feeling conviction because you said, you know what, if I'm honest, I said church is important, I said this, but, but if I'm honest, what I modeled was that school or sports was more important than spiritual development. If I'm honest, I, I taught about grace, we talked about grace, but I never gave my kids any. Never modeled it. We never talked about the things of God at home outside of church and just feeling convicted, but I think it's I think it's legitimate conviction, it's not false guilt. Then then what do you do? Listen, you do what you always do. You ask God for forgiveness, you confess it to the Lord, you ask God for his forgiveness and for the forgiveness of your kids, and you move forward in the full confidence of God's grace. And you walk in that freedom. And you commit from this day forward until your prodigal comes home that you will leave footprints in the carpet. Let me close with a true story. There's a father who prayed for years for his children. When his children went to bed, the father would go into their bedroom and stand over his children, praying for them every single night. They always knew that dad was there when they were younger. And as they got older, he would wait until they were asleep, and then he would go in and pray. Even later, when they were gone off to college, he would still go in and pray over where they had been in their rooms. And the father was talking to his children one day, and he mentioned that he still prayed for them every night without fail. And the kids said, we know. And the father was surprised. He said, well, how do you know that? You're, you're away at school. How do you know that I'm doing that? Here's what they said. They said, because, Dad, when we come home to our own bed, 
we see your footprints in the carpet. And you have no guarantee, I wish you, you have no guarantee that your prodigal will ever come home. But make sure that if they do, they see your footprints in the carpet.